What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. In like a lion, out like a lamb. From stocks to Bitcoin, Wall Street gets set to cap off a wild week. Crypto crackdown first, it was China. Now the SEC is looking at tougher rules for investors, looking to cash in on their lucrative bets. Setting sail, cruise stocks popping after one of the largest operators says it is ready to hit the open ocean as soon as July. A big call on BP. Why Barclays now calls that company its top pick in oil and buzzed at 30,000 feet. Southwest Airlines bringing back the booze after a month's long hiatus. It is Friday, May 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Friday, by the way. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. And here's how the money, your money and the global markets are setting up their Friday. Stock futures are, and we shouldn't say it too loud, we don't want to jinx anything, they are actually kind of calm this morning, and they are higher across the board. Dow futures up 70, NASDAQ futures up 31, not big moves at all, about two or three tenths of 1% but they are in the green nonetheless. We did have a rebound for the major averages on Thursday. The S&P 500 up 1%, a more decent jump of nearly 2% for the NASDAQ. Microsoft had a nice move higher, helping both the NASDAQ and the Dow. Microsoft kind of the star of Thursday. Let's take a look now at crypto and this insanely wild week. And like stock futures right now, crypto is actually fairly calm. We are down a tiny bit on Bitcoin two-tenths of 1%, one of the calmest days we have seen all week in what has been a wild move. Consider this. In the last 10 days, Bitcoin has gone from $59,500 on May 9th to as low as $30,000 on the May 19th collapse. Ethereum had a 57% range in just seven days. If you can't handle volatility, Maybe crypto is not for you. As they say, if you believe in it, you got to hodl. Hold on for dear life. We are seeing Ether down about 3% right now. All right, that's how we look. Let's see how things in Europe look as well with some of their top stories and their market moves and what has also been kind of a wild week, by the way, as London and the rest of the UK reopen. Let's get now to the Tattlebomb Index in our London newsroom with more <laughs> on your early trade. Juliana, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Brian. I'm doing well. And that reopening story that you just talked about is starting to come through in the data. European investors this morning focusing on the flash PMIs, which just hit the tape about an hour or so ago. And what they showed was that business activity has picked up across the region in May. So very strong numbers on both services and manufacturing. And as you can see here, we've got gains for the Italian, French and German markets extending yesterday's rally when the main benchmark, the stock 600, advanced about 1.3 percent. 
The UK index, though, the FTSE 100, underperforming down by about a third of a percent, despite strong PMIs and despite very strong retail sales data. We got some April figures which showed uh, retail sales soared 9.2% month-on-month in April. Two stocks in particular I want to just highlight for you. Brian, Lufthansa, the airliner, is down 6.3% this morning. The company's second biggest shareholder has sold over half its stake in the airline, and that is the TL family. They sold its shares at a 10% discount to yesterday's closing price. Turning now to Richemont, the luxury goods company, uh, they reported uh, that they will double their dividend as strong performances from jewelry boosted net profit by a third in 2020. The Cartier maker expects growth to continue as momentum picks up in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. Richemont shares trading very well this morning, up 4.5%. Brian. Juliana, give us a quick update on London. We love the city. What's it like? I mean, are you guys just out and about? Is life back to normal, 60% back to normal? What's it like? Well, we are now, as we talked about on Monday, able to dine indoors for the first time Restaurants are not jam-packed. I went out to dinner last night for the first time inside all year. There weren't many other diners in there. People are cautious because of all this attention on the rise of the variant from India. So we're still waiting for the younger groups to get vaccinated, and that certainly seems to be putting a bit of a dampener on just how eager people are to get back indoors. But outdoor dining is definitely flourishing. You see the terraces that have been set up filled with people. So I'd say there is a lot more energy, a lot more people out and about, but eating inside, still not quite everybody's cup of tea just yet. Not yet, but it will get there. Have a pint for us, Juliana Tadabam. Great weekend. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks so much, Brian. Yeah, exactly. All right. If you, oh, you're welcome. Well, if you, all of you out there, love to cruise, this news update is for you. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories, which include ships getting back to sea, at least in one special place. Bertha Coombs is here now with these stories. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Brian. That's right. Carnival planning to resume Alaska cruises as soon as July and what would be among the first sailings out of the U.S. since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Company says its Princess Holland America and Carnival Cruise Lines plan to return to service with Alaska itineraries out of Seattle this summer. Companies said each brand is planning to have one ship sailing round trip this season. The cruises are available to guests who have had their final dose of an approved COVID-19 vaccine at least 14 days before the cruise begins to set sail, and they've got to offer proof of that vaccination. Sources tell CNBC the logistics arms of Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com is set to price its initial Hong Kong initial public offering at $5.20 a share. That's near the bottom of its expected range. At that price, the company expected to raise around $3.2 billion. No comment from JD.com about that pricing. And SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says the regulator is ready to take on cases involving cryptocurrencies. Speaking at the 2021 Financial Industry Regulatory Authority Annual Conference, Gensler said that the SEC and FINRA should be ready to bring cases involving issues surrounding crypto, cyber, and fintech, adding his aim is to ensure that bad actors are not, quote, playing with working family savings and that the rules are enforced aggressively and consistently. Wants to make sure everybody knows the sheriff is in town, particular 
talking about the Reddit crowd, but also some of these exchanges with crypto where, as we know, there is so much volatility. 59,500 to 30,000 in what, eight or nine trading days for Bitcoin. That, Bertha, is volatility. Bertha Coombs, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you. All right, let's stretch this conversation out and get more on the markets and your money. And your first guest today says, don't confuse the recent ups and downs, you know, the volatility, with a big change in where things may be headed long term and what the real driver really is. Joining us now is Michael Busella. He is partner at High Block Tower Capital, a crypto and blockchain investment firm. And Michael, welcome. You know, a friend of the show, Jim Bianco, well known to our audience, penned an op-ed yesterday where he said, despite the volatility in crypto, we should actually take some positives away from these big moves because the exchanges and DeFi, decentralized finance, actually acted like they should have. They ultimately held up. Would you agree with that perspective? Yeah, I would say this was probably one of the most bullish events for DeFi adoption more broadly. So uh, a lot of the protocols in DeFi, they bent, but they didn't break. And I think a lot of concern was about in a stress test scenario. And remember the traditional bank stress test of 2009 following the OA crisis. This was a live stress test and DeFi held up. It was a very impressive showing by the infrastructure. Now, it certainly showed some weaknesses, but that's natural in, in a nascent asset class like crypto to have the market infrastructure bend a bit, but not necessarily break. I think we walked away from this in a very, very positive way. And volatility for anyone in the risk management world and the, in the hedge fund world is, is, is certainly opportunity. So we, we embrace it. Yeah. Do you feel like Coinbase, uh, Binance, some of the other major wallets, exchanges, do you feel like they did their share? Did they hold up in a way, provide liquidity, enable people, not like a Robin Hood, right? During the GameStop frenzy, they were limiting trading and you couldn't sell or you could only sell a certain amount or buy a certain amount. Are you comfortable in how the crypto exchanges performed? So I don't want to sound completely biased. There were certainly issues in, in you know, systemically across the infrastructure of the industry. It worked well for an institutional professional firm, if you were one, that has robust operational infrastructure. If you're a retail investor who was trying to click by you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum on one of the exchanges, there may have been moments where those particular exchanges were down momentarily, um, but we didn't see the type of complete, roughly complete failure we saw on Black Thursday of March of 2020. And that's all the more impressive because of how much money is now in the DeFi space and how much money came into levered contracts in the space we would have expected i think we may have lost michael busella blocked our michael are you there going once going twice three times michael if you're out there and you can hear us our thanks but he basically said hey the the exchanges unlike this interview held up michael if you're out there we'll get you back on again soon thank you very much all right, we've got a lot to do. Let's move on. When we come back, the alt milk craze hitting Wall Street after a big day for Oatly. A check on the shares of the pre-market plus a Friday worldwide exchange exclusive and a big insider buy by a big name you know. Yeah, that guy. And later on, first it was Ohio. Now New York and Maryland are looking to boost their vaccination numbers. Jackpots for jabs. 
A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. Dow futures up 81. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. It is time now for your Friday Big Money Movers. Three stock stories that you got to know about this morning. Stock number one, applied materials. Second quarter results topping forecasts. AMAT continues to get a boost from a pickup in demand for laptops, PCs, game consoles, you name it. Company also guiding third quarter sales above estimates. Stock not moving, though, up about two-tenths of a percent. Stock number two, Palo Alto Networks, a cybersecurity firm posting better than expected third quarter numbers and hiking its outlook for the year, the CEO playing up the fact that high-profile hacks like SolarWinds and the recent Colonial Pipeline hack are driving business, helping it land bigger customers, stock up 6%. And stock number three, what else? Oatly shares up again after they jumped 19% in their debut on the NASDAQ. Wow, look at that. Oatly up 13% pre-market. That gives the oat milk maker a valuation Roughly $12 billion. Maybe also bodes well for the IPO market, which has shown signs of cooling amid the drop in the broader market. The bigger question is, for anybody out there who's had it, and I have not, how's it taste? Is Oatly any good? Let us know. All right on deck. How Dunkin' Donuts is cashing in on the home renovation rush. Yes, Dunkin' Donuts. Plus, K-pop sensation BTS making history once again, we'll tell you how with your top trending stories coming up next. Dow futures up 91, NASDAQ futures also higher. We are back on a Friday right after this. Big number, $20,149.86. That's the cost of lumber needed to build a single-family house in the U.S. That's nearly four times what it cost to build the same house last year. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Butter, donuts, coffee, and booze. What a great morning combo. Bertha Coombs is here now your top trending stories, starting with a festive toy collection. Bertha, you got to tie all that stuff together, though. Butter and booze. I mean, it sounds good, but how does it well, all go together? 
I'll resist, I'll resist singing these are a few of my favorite things, but they are. But let's start off with Legos. They've unveiled an LGBTQ-themed set ahead of Pride Month. The set includes 11 monochrome figures inspired by the rainbow pride flag and hit stores on June 1st. K-pop band BTS has melted viewership records with the music video for their new song, Butter. The video released last night racked up 19 million views in just its first hour on YouTube. 10 million of those were in just the first 13 minutes. I didn't know that tweens were up that late. Incredible. Now, if you can't get enough of Duncan's iconic pink and orange palette when you're at home, the company is launching its first ever paint collection. Duncan is collaborating with paint company Back Backdrop to release a limited edition collection of their neon pink and orange paints available starting today. And no, the paint does not smell like donuts and doesn't come glazed, I don't think. And finally, Southwest is bringing booze back to the skies. The airline will bring alcohol sales back starting June 24th on flights to Hawaii after suspending alcohol and coffee on its flights during the pandemic. United and Alaska Air also recently announced their flights would stop being dry. So, Brian, take to the skies and cheers to you as you fly. Yeah, a little tough, you know, in the middle seat, you know, 36B to, to enjoy your cocktail. Let's go back to your first story, Bertha. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to say, sort of imply this. Do you ever wonder on yeah. some of these streaming numbers... Right. Where they, I mean, to your point, tens of millions at, you know, in the middle of the night, if you leave things on, a lot of these will just keep playing. I, I just wonder how much of this is someone just forgot to turn really? off YouTube or Netflix. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? The numbers sometimes I, I are don't so know. big. They, they are. Well, they're a huge phenomenon. Right. And, and I would imagine, you know, in Asia, you'd have kids who'd be who'd be doing it. Obviously, we are not the demographic for BTS, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't but not, even, not even just wouldn't okay, but yes, and they might play BTS, it again and again and again. Huge, BTS, I get huge fanatical fan base. I'm like talking, you know, let's say it's a movie for people our age. And it's like, well, so many millions watched it over the weekend, and then you talk to your friends, and nobody's even heard of it, much less watched it. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. just grouchy, I, I guess. You know, now. maybe we're just not talking to the right people. That's it. We need new friends. Thank you, Bertha, giving me permission <laughs> now to start over. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. If any of my friends are watching, I love you all, by the way. It's not you I'm talking about. It's me. It's not you. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including another state offering a jackpot to get the jab. NBC's Francis Rivera, our friend, is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hey, Brian. Happy Friday to you. Good morning. Now, overnight, there were more explosions in the Middle East, but this time it was fireworks lighting up the sky. A ceasefire is now in place between Israel and Hamas after an 11-day-long conflict that traumatized communities. Egypt played a key role in moderating the deal and says it will send monitors to both Israel and Gaza to oversee its implementation. Princes William and Harry are blasting the BBC after a report revealed the deceitful methods used to secure a 1995 interview with their mother, Princess Diana. The two issued blistering statements, slamming interviewer Martin Bashir and the BBC's conduct. 
BBC employees lied and used fake documents to obtain the interview with my mother, made lurid and false claims about the royal family, which played on her fears and fueled paranoia. The interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and has since hurt countless others. This comes after an independent investigation found that Bashir, later an MSNBC news anchor, acted inappropriately and breached editorial guidelines to gain access to Diana. The network issued a statement apologizing to all of the individuals affected. On Thursday, Maryland's governor announced a $2 million Vax cash promotion that lasts from May 25th through July 3rd, with a winner drawn on the 4th of July. All vaccinated residents ages 18 and older are automatically entered into the daily lottery. New York announced a similar program which allows those who get vaccinated to receive a $20 lottery ticket for a chance to win $5 million. Some people, a lot of people are already vaccinated. Brian, you still want to do the lotto thing. Just a reminder, Mega Millions, $515 million. Drawing is tonight. And then you got Powerball. I think it's over $200 million. I think $218 million for Powerball. Three things. I'm going to buy a ticket. They all owe mm-hmm. Ohio like some sort of, you know, gratuity because Ohio came up with it. Number three, kind of amazing. You got to offer people a lottery ticket to get a life-saving shot. You still well, got to convince some people. America. So. Yep. There, there you go. Francis Rivera, you have a fantastic weekend. Thank you, you very too. much. All right. Thank you. Still ahead. It is not a fossil. Why Barclays is bullish on BP. And by the way, if you haven't already... Subscribe to our podcast if you missed a show or just getting on the road. Your boss says you got to be back in the office, can't watch TV. I don't know. Download the podcast. Stock futures up 68, and we're back after this. A little green on your screen and cryptos looking calm after what has been a wild week on Wall Street. A good reason to wake up. An epic court battle. Apple CEO Tim Cook getting his day in court and on the stand as the high-stakes antitrust trial wraps up its third week. And rising risk as extreme weather becomes a year-round worry now in some areas. Home builders looking for new ways to get their projects off the grid. That is, if you can find a home builder. It is Friday, May 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. We made it. Thanks for joining us on this Friday. And here's how your money and the markets are looking right now. They're looking not too bad. We are seeing stock futures in the green. Not going to make too much of it. Not sounding the alarm. All clear. Everything's fine. But we are seeing Dow futures up 67, NASDAQ up 27, two and three tenths of a percent, but higher nonetheless. Now, the NASDAQ coming off its first winning section of the week. Your Dow and S&P the same. But check this out. I guess this is kind of an RBI. Despite all the volatility, the crazy ups and downs that we have seen this week, the NASDAQ is actually set to end the week higher. It's up about eight-tenths of 1%. The Russell 3000 index, super broad index, only needs a gain of three-tenths of a percent to also finish higher. Kind of hard to imagine given some of the recent big down days we have seen, but it is true. Stocks actually could end the week with a pretty decent week. Well, we continue to watch the metals trade. Speaking of decent, gold, better than that, coming off its highest settlement since January 7th. It is up six straight days for the first time since last July. Comex Gold back to nearly 
1900 bucks an ounce. And of course, your mid-morning crypto, well, mid-morning, I guess, if you live in Bulgaria, mid-morning crypto check right now, because that has been the most volatile market. And Bitcoin is slightly higher, up back above 40,000. 40,000, we'll call it 500. We are seeing Ethereum, Litecoin, and Ripple down a little bit. But for, for these guys, that's not really that big of a move. Ethereum at 27.48. Well, Tim Cook takes the stand and the Treasury Department says what it could accept for a global corporate tax rate. Here's a few more of your Big Friday stories. Bertha is back with those. Bertha. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, in the trial of Apple versus Epic Games, it's game on today. The iPhone maker wrapping up its legal argument in court with its biggest witness yet, CEO Tim Cook. Many expecting Cook to kick off proceedings today with up to three hours of testimony with direct examination from Apple's lawyers and cross-examination from Epic. That followed by more redirect examination by Apple. The U.S. Treasury Department says it could accept a global minimum corporate tax rate of at least 15 percent, a rate significantly below its proposed 21 percent minimum for U.S. multinational firms. The proposal was pitched during an OECD meeting yesterday with an attempt to reach an agreement to rework rules for taxing multinational corporations and big technology companies. And Chief White House Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci speaking on whether kids will have to wear masks at school next fall. Speaking to CNBC's Shepard Smith, Dr. Fauci said it's possible middle and high schools could be mask-free. Well, it is conceivable that they might be, as a matter of fact, when you have a fully vaccinated, if the children get vaccinated, it is conceivable that that would actually wind up being a recommendation. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, pretty important for their teachers to be vaccinated, too. Dr. Fauci also saying that it is, quote, in our power to stop any surges in the fall through vaccination. Brian. All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right. The most misunderstood investment case of the large cap oil stocks, at least in Europe, so says Barclays about BP. They just named it among their top picks in large cap European oils and says the switch to low carbon will ultimately be rewarded. With us now is the analyst who made that call, Lydia Rainforth. Lydia, thank you very much for joining us. Read your call with interest. I mean, BP has been the subject of this huge debate among the investment community why do you like the name so much right now? Thanks, Brandon. Good morning. So for me, BP is transforming from an integrated oil company to an integrated energy company. And for me, BP is right to change. Long-term stewardship ultimately requires that the company evolves alongside the society that it's there to provide energy for. Um, the production for BP is likely to fall 40% over the next 10 years. And yet where I think it is misunderstood is that that doesn't lead to a 40% fall in cash flow. If anything, we actually see cash flow higher um, going forward from that upstream business uh, rather than lower as they upgrade the portfolio. There's a lot of efficiency. There's a lot of digitalization that will come through uh, from that business. So actually cash flow goes up even though volumes are falling. And at the same time, you've got a lot of um, cash flow coming from the marketing division, so the gas stations and the products that they sell there. And it gives them time to transform the business into a low energy or sorry, low carbon energy business uh, that will ultimately be rewarded by shareholders. That takes time, but they've got a lot of cash flow that allows them to do that. 
and ultimately return some of that to shareholders. And we're looking at a stock that has a 5% dividend yield and can potentially double that through the process of share buybacks as well. So for us, it's a very clear The reason a, a that, that this sector. call, uh, yeah, Lydia, the reason this call captured my attention so much was that BP may or may not be a model for, for major American or other global integrated oil companies. Because effectively what it said, and I'm going to just roughly summarize, is we're going to not quite wind down the business over the next number of decades, but upstream pulling money, you know, pulling oil, <laughs> so it used to be money, pulling oil out of the ground, that's going to kind of slow down dramatically in the next couple of years and decades. And we're going to just give a lot more cash back to shareholders rather than continuing to reinvest in it. Do you think that BP is a model or is it kind of, you know, pulling a Fleetwood Mac and and going its own way? I do think it's a model for other oil companies and they will all interpret how they get there differently. But if the world is going to move to a net zero environment, we need to move from what has been rhetoric to reality. And that's going to involve a lot of hydrogen. It's going to involve a lot of carbon capture and storage, a lot of biofuels, a lot of renewables, all of which are skill sets that BP and the other oil companies have developed over a number of years. And that ultimately is what they will get the return for. It takes time to come through. But by making the switch now and in putting the investment in now, that allows them to benefit. And it will be sort of towards the end of this decade and into the 2030s. But ultimately, that's what they can do. And the business from the oil and gas cash flows that they're getting now, reducing CapEx in that business, gives them the cash flow where ultimately they can do both. You can both cash back to shareholders now and be able to deliver a business that is sustainable into the next decade and beyond that. And your assumptions are at Brent at 60 bucks. Are you surprised, Lydia, at how well oil is held up this year, I mean, it's up, you know, 35, 40% on the year. And I just wish actually some of the stock price performance has reflected some of that oil price spend. Uh, so in reality, I think 60 is a decent assumption for modeling the companies. Uh, OPEC have clearly been managing the market very well. And the big story from this week in the oil market has been what happens with Iranian volumes. Do we get a deal? Do we not? Um, and ultimately, we think as we get some of those volumes coming back from Iran, OPEC are still going to have to manage that market. And while we still have spare capacity, I do struggle to see us breaking out of that current trading range for it. Lydia Rainforth of Barclays naming BP, its top large cap European oil stock. And it's something that we are watching for a lot of reasons. Lydia, thanks for coming on Worldwide Exchange. Best to you. All right, coming up. Your exclusive weekly insider buying segment and one big buy by a big business name you know. Plus, look at that chart. A huge $8 million buy at that stock. It's a recent IPO, a huge group of insider buyers. The name's ahead. And as we head to break, some of your other top headlines on this Friday. The New York Post says Hertz is considering relisting on an American stock exchange after it comes out of bankruptcy. But in a twist... The Post says could be a jab at the old exchange. Hertz may be considering switching to the NASDAQ. Moderna reportedly considering manufacturing its COVID vaccine in Japan. Chief Executive Stefan Bonsell telling the Nikkei company is in discussions in several countries in Asia, including Japan. And two companies owned by media mogul Byron Allen filing a lawsuit against McDonald's. 
They accused the fast food giant of discriminating against black-owned media companies. The suit seeks $10 billion in damages. And Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing says it is boosting output for the year for a key component for automotive chips by 60% over last year, all amid the continued global semiconductor shortage. TSMC is the world's biggest semiconductor maker and says it is taking unprecedented actions to help the automakers. We are back right after this. We are looking at home builders for a reason, because in just under two weeks, the Atlantic hurricane season will officially begin. But the increasingly extreme weather risk from climate change is now a year-round phenomenon. This has home builders reconsidering how they design and power new homes and how they take them off the grid completely. Diana Olick reports in her continuing series on rising risk to real estate from climate change. This year, an unusual ice storm struck the southern U.S., hitting Texas particularly hard. It took out much of the state's power grid, plunging nearly 10 million people into a cold, dark, deadly disaster. More than 150 died, and at an estimated $200 billion, it was the costliest natural disaster in the state's history. More severe storms each year are going to further and further indicate the needs for resilient development. Professor Ben Keyes studies the effects of climate change on real estate and the growing need for housing that can survive off the grid. We're not just talking about slapping solar panels on the roof, right? That's right. These houses can be built in much more efficient ways. So not just solar, but they can have their own water filters, their own other sources of electricity generation, and a number of other efficient ways to manage their utilities. A growing number of small builders like California-based Dvell are stepping up. The whole idea of the self-powered home actually came from the California wildfires, where the grids were shutting down. Dvell, founded in 2017, builds its homes in a factory. The average size is about 2,600 square feet, though it can be larger. The cost, around $1.2 million. That's about 20% higher than a comparably sized tract home with none of the efficiencies and technologies. Devel homes have solar, battery, and other construction and insulation elements, as well as smart technologies that allow them to use far less energy and operate longer off the grid. We're seeing things that we've never seen before and that grids simply aren't made to manage. So uh, since all the events in Texas, you know, the the interest in the self-powered concept has really gone off the, the charts for us. Most of Devel's projects are on the West Coast, but they see big expansion coming. Major grid failure or blackout events in the United States impacting 50,000 or more people jumped by more than 60% since 2015. We didn't anticipate it would go this fast nationally, but we're excited for the growth. Growth for individual homes and whole communities that can even have their own microgrid shared storage. So off-the-grid housing doesn't have to mean you're living alone in the woods. It's not just for extremists. I think you're going to see more and more people looking for ways in which they can protect themselves as uh, there are increased risks from storms, more utility disruptions, and more need for resiliency. 
Dwell's homes come at a price premium, and retrofitting older homes to be off the grid is expensive. Funding this type of housing is a big challenge because while the investments pay off big time in the long run, they don't pay off right away. Part of, the pres of President Biden's infrastructure plan earmarks funds to upgrade affordable housing to be more energy efficient. So perhaps that will help grow this market and in turn lower some of those upfront costs. Brian? All right, a few things here, Diana. I mean, first off, if you're off the grid, that's great for you. But I imagine it's bad for funding because a lot of your bill is taxes that pay for the infrastructure. So you kind of step off the grid and leave others to pay for building out that, that grid improvement. Either way, you can comment on that or not. Also, you got climate change here, a big factor, but you got the pandemic as well. How did that play into demand? Well, it's interesting. You saw so many people who moved out of large cities, but who also moved to the south, which we know is also more vulnerable to increased storms from climate change. So that's where they're looking to expand is into southern states. You also had people who moved into more rural areas so that when they do get hit by a big storm, they might not get help as quickly to get back on the grid. And as for paying in, you know, if they're using solar, if they're paying into the energy grid, it's not that they could be completely off all the time. It's that they can power themselves when they're not able to be on the grid. So, you know, a lot of this has to be worked out going forward as to what that means if you have an entire community that's off the grid that has its own microgrid, perhaps. That's what's so interesting about this as the technology grows and we see what can happen. But it's also that ability to, when disaster strikes, to be able to survive much more easily than we can now. It, it sounds great, especially you talked about Texas. But you know what I'm saying? You got solar panels, a battery pack, a Tesla in the garage. You're not paying gas taxes. You're not paying electricity taxes. You're off the grid, literally, and you're leaving others to pick up the slack as you just kind of drive the roads. I mean, it sounds good, but I guess the tax side of your story might be coming next, Diana. I have no idea. I think that's the next step. I mean, again, this is in its infancy, so we don't know where it's going on the tax side yet. We have very few of these, obviously, but the demand is growing. We're seeing more builders do it. We're seeing more people who want to be able to be off the grid. Again, not all the time, but to have that ability to get off the grid when disaster strikes. Yeah. So again, you know, the tax part, as you said, that'll be our next story. You ever watch The Simpsons, Diana? Always. I have kids. There, I don't know if you remember, there was a Simpsons, one of the early seasons where they, they had actor Ed Begley Jr. And he put this thing on his head and got into a go-kart. And I think Bart said, what's that? And he said, it's a go-kart powered by my own sense of self-satisfaction as he zipped off down the road. Diana I Olick. I like that. Thank you I very like much. That. Yeah. Yep. Diana Olick, thank you. I like your series, Rising Risk. Good stuff there. Going off the grid, the fight. Over taxes, probably coming up next. All right, coming up next on this show, who's buying what? Your weekly insider buying exclusive with one really big name. Plus, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. And a reminder, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. All month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, leaders, and our own anchors, reporters, and friends. Here is CNBC contributor Kathy Lin. I started on the trading floor in 99. It was filled with people who didn't really look like me. I was Asian, I was a woman, I was 18. 
there was virtually no women and even fewer Asian or Asian women that were executives or managers. So when I was given the chance to forge my own role in a fast-growing company instead of a bank with a hundred-year-old history, I couldn't wait for the bank to change. I realized that I had to take that opportunity. All right, welcome back. It is your favorite time of the week, we think. Your exclusive insider buying segment, highlighting the five companies with the most executives buying their own stock with their own money. And reminder, these stocks as a group have beaten the S&P 500 pretty doggone handily. Data coming from our friends at insiderscore.com. And as always, we count you down five to one. Let's go. Stock number five, Rackspace. You got three insider buying, not totaling a lot, 250000 or 275 following the disappointing IPO last year, but three insiders buying at RXT. Fourth most insider buying, Cable One, ticker Cabo, like that. CFO buying 517000 worth. He was a seller last year, so this is his coming back to being a buyer and his biggest buy to date. Stock number three, a name you know, Mr. Jeffrey Immelt, former CEO of GE, now on the board of Bloom Energy, buying 750000 worth. He sits on the board of BE and... Immelt is buying into strength. The stock is already up 40%, so buying into a rising stock price by Jeff Immelt. The second most insider buying this week, and the numbers really ramp up, is Univar Solutions. CFO buying $2.5 million worth of that stock. Another insider, by the way, also buying a smaller amount on the same day. And the company, with the most insider buys by an insider, or I should say insiders, is App Lovin'. Three insiders buying a total of $8.7 million worth. That includes a CEO, CFO, and board member all buying. Now, they're buying into weakness following their rather disappointing April IPO. And if you remember, App Lovin' was also in our insider buying list a couple of weeks ago. So it's the second time it has appeared on this insider buying list recently. The ticker is APP. For App Lovin', a name maybe to watch. A lot of insider buying as that stock has gone down from its IPO. So there you go. The names this week, Rackspace, Cable One, Bloom Energy with Jeff Immelt, Univar Solutions, and App Lovin'. A reminder, we do this most Fridays here on Worldwide Exchange exclusively. All right, let's get back now to the broader markets. And your next guest has inflation on the top of his mind. Joining us, Invesco Global Market Strategist, Brian Levitt. Brian, good to see you again. Inflation debates are all the rage. Where do you come on this whole it's transitory thing? I do believe that inflation is going to prove to be temporary, uh, a temporary challenge that will ultimately fade. And, and the reason I believe that is that nothing structural has changed. What ended up happening was a, a terrible economic outcome. Uh, there's a lot of pent up demand that is formed. There's plenty of us sitting around waiting to reengage with the service sector of the economy. There's a lot of fiscal support, but ultimately pent up demand fades. Ultimately, the fiscal support becomes something of a drag as we move into next year. So there will be some inflation concerns. There may be some volatility along the way, but I don't think we need to change our structural views on inflation. There's still long term forces against inflation. How does that play into equities? I mean, there's all this debate about what does inflation mean for rates and thus what do rates mean for stocks? Because you buy a fast growing stock in low rates, they look good, but then it brings down the earnings multiples if they go up, blah, 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 blah. 
What do we invest in right now, given everything we know about everything? Well, good growth and rising inflation should be good for the equity market. And so in that type of an environment, as you're moving from a recovery phase of a cycle into a more expansion phase of the cycle, you still want to own the more cyclical parts of the market. Um, The reality is once you start to move into more expansion, that whole value growth debate dissipates a bit. Both generally do well in an expansion phase of the cycle. But you're right. If, you, if you're going to see rates move higher a bit here amid inflation, then it's everything that's been working. Cyclical, small caps, um, probably a weaker dollar, which means you know, things like emerging markets and commodities, all of that does mm. well in that phase of the cycle. I think what investors should realize, though, is this will all slow. And, and so while here through the end of the year, it may be volatile. I think that reflation trade continues to work as you start yeah. to move into 2022. The economy is likely to slow and, and you'll see rates come off a bit again. I feel like the market got tested this week and maybe came through it. I mean, I think just given some of the days that we've seen, if you went up to some random investor and said, how did the market do this week? They'd be like, oh, I got crushed. It was down big. The Russell 3000 is actually down three tenths of a percent. It could end the week higher. The <laughs> Nasdaq is up. It's hard to believe, right? It's like body blow, body blow, but the market's many parts are still up. Do you feel like the market has been tested a little bit this week, Brian? I know you're not a short-term guy, but you got to take these kind of blows to kind of get keep investor optimism, I assume. Yeah, no. Yeah, the market's des- definitely being tested, and it tends to be tested in year two of a cycle. And it it's ironic because year one, the market pretty much goes straight up when the economy's not doing all that well because it's forecasting better growth. And then in year two, it's more volatile because everybody's worried that it's overheating and the Fed's going to raise rates. So this type of movement in stocks should be expected. Anytime you see volatility in markets or even drawdown in markets, it tends to be the result of policy uncertainty. And so it is being tested. We've digested some pretty, um, you know, scary numbers if, if you read the headline on on inflation. But again, there's things that are driving it like base effects, like the pent up demand, all of us getting back to flying and, and going into lodging outside of our home. So the market gets tested by those things. I think the market is treating it appropriately. In my opinion, this is a market that is likely to continue to go up uh, in a very improving economic backdrop and, and, and an environment where prices are rising a bit. That's a good backdrop for equities, nothing that we should be overly fearful of. Well, the market doesn't look scared right now, and that's a great place to leave it with a little optimism on a Friday heading into a weekend, and we all need it. Brian Levitt of Invesco. Brian, a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on Worldwide Exchange. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, you're very welcome. And let's throw the futures up once again, right? Because why not? We are seeing some green on the screen. What's been a wild week. Dow futures up 91. Not a lot, but three-tenths of 1%. We are in the green. We'll see if tech can continue to power on. Many of the cryptos, if not higher, are not down. Bitcoin is up a bit as well. Gold is up. You're up. And we appreciate you're up and watching the show or if you're listening on the podcast later today. Thanks for watching that and listening as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Squawk Box is next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.